Well, a few weeks ago, I introduced this expository series in the book of Ecclesiastes entitled Living Life in Perspective. And you can see there the uh, title slide for that. This book, the book of Ecclesiastes, is about ultimate questions, about the really big ones that we struggle at time to find answers for in life. And also, it is a book for our times. It is a book that resonates to where we are and where we live and with the life frustrations and the experiences in life that we know all too well in this world. And that is much of the perspective from which the book of Ecclesiastes comes to us with its wisdom, with its advice. And it as it were, shuts us in and, and corrals us and forces us to accept certain things that are true when we live as if this world is all that there is. Let's see what the teacher, whether it's Solomon or a latter-day Solomon, so to speak, autobiographically, as it were, slipping into his shoes, whichever it is. Let's listen to God's word And what the teacher has to teach us today from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Remind you, this is not the word of men, but the word of the living God. Hear it with careful attention. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly that I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered All that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, 
all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, we've read your word and I ask now for help as I seek to bring some of its truth to light. But Lord, you know I'm incapable of that. We need the help of, a, of the helper, the Holy Spirit whom you sent to reveal all truth to us. Give us faith. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might receive your engrafted word with meekness and learn from it today for your glory. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Gabby, I believe we have a slide. Yes, there it is. The world is not enough. It's the name of the 19th James Bond film starring none other than Pierce Brosnan as MI6's famous secret agent 007. You know, you know how it goes. Okay. Now, it's interesting that the title, The World is Not Enough, comes from the English translation of the Latin phrase that was the Bond family motto. Orbis non sufficit. The world is not enough. Now you keep that title in mind because we're going to come back to it a little bit later. Now, if you recall last week, the teacher had started a series of quests. And the first quest involved wisdom, trying to live with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He set out on a quest to find answers to life's perplexing questions. He became, as it were, a philosopher king with all the resources that he needed to pursue his quest and to find out what on earth under the sun is the phrase that Ecclesiastes uses, makes life worth living. What? Makes it worth living. Why are we here? Is life worth living? What purpose does it serve? What meaning can we find? And he sat out on that quest using wisdom and knowledge. But he came up empty. Having tried to think his way to answers and failed, now he decides to go on one gigantic personal experiment. He decides to experiment with life's greatest personal experiences. He's not going to just read about it. He's going to plunge and immerse himself into it in order to know it inside and out firsthand. And remember, he has unlimited resources and he holds back on nothing. This is our approach or outline for today, and it's the same as last week. We're going to look at the pursuit, 
Then we're going to look at the problem with that pursuit. And then finally, we're going to get some perspective on the problem and realize there is something outside of what is only under the sun. So let's dig in. Let's look at the pursuit. The first verse sets up the experiment. Look at verse 1a, the first part of verse chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure and enjoy my, yourself. Sets up the experiment. Now, allow me to translate. Let me cut through all, through all the chase and all the setup and just get to the bottom line. Allow me to translate what he just said. Les élèves, les bons teams roulés. Which in French Cajun is let the good times roll. Let the good times roll. Let's party. Let's immerse ourselves in everything there is to experience under the sun. Some years later, after the teacher, more recently, you two, Bono and group, decided to help out Johnny Cash with a song that kind of, again, echoes some of this quest called The Wanderer. I went out there in search of experience to taste and to touch and to feel as much as a man can before he repents. It's pretty, pretty clever. <laughs> experience as much as a man can before he repents. You see, did you notice all the eyes in that passage as I read it, our scripture reading this morning? I, 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 40 of them. It is quite self-evident that Solomon is in pursuit of self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. It's the very inversion of the Westminster Shorter Catechism question number one. Everybody knows that, right? What is the chief man to man? The question is, the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is the inversion. Find out what will glorify me and enjoy it for as long as I can. That's what's being pursued here. So what kind of things did Solomon pursue? A little more detail. He gives us in that text that I just read. And I can summarize it all with three basic groupings of two. Here's the first one. What things did he pursue? Carefree pleasures and sensual delights. Notice verses 3 and 8b. Look at verse 3 and then at the second part of verse 8. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine and my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And then second part of verse 8. I got singers 
both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Solomon indulged himself with what? The three that you know. Wine, women, and song. They're right there. And he didn't hold back on any of it. He was looking for pleasure while he still had time. He pursued the finer things of life. He was hoping they would keep on shining through. He was pursuing them with all his heart. As we would say in the South, he was pursuing them with the gusto of a hound dog. Ready to devour. Ready to eat their fill. But then there was another couplet that he was involved in his pursuit. He was, it was building expansion and landscape development. Building expansion and landscape development. Solomon then recounts his vast building projects and land improvements. He devoted 13 years of his life building the king's house in 1 Kings 9.10. Then he built a house in the forest of Lebanon in 1 Kings 10.17. And many more besides that that he built. He was an architect. He was an entrepreneur. He was a businessman. He was driving hard to achieve Solomon also moved into horticulture and gardening and various irrigation projects that were vast and would water whole forests and gardens. He probably might have challenged the hanging gardens of Babylon in its day. Who knows? But then a third element that he added to this pursuit was the couplet of capital formation and monetary accumulation. Look at verses 7 and then also at, first of all, verse 7. And I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house And I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. And then he says, and then the second part, the first part of verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. This guy accumulated unbelievable and vast fortune and wealth. An account of Solomon's riches is found in 1 Kings 10, 14 through 29. That's a lot of verses to cover. That's over, over that's 15 verses just covering the wealth and the opulence of Solomon in his day. But verse 23 makes it clear that he was the richest man in the world. The Solomon of Ecclesiastes, folks, had it all. He lacked nothing. There's nothing that he could say, you know, I need one of those. You know, I'd, I'd like to have that. He already had it. Over and over, 
Solomon was a man of fame and fortune and flamboyance. He was legendary. He made the news headlines. He was on the cover of magazines. He was the envy of all the superstars. They came to his parties. Let's be honest for just a moment. It's hard not to envy someone like that, isn't it? Now, come on, tell the truth. Don't you just, wouldn't you just like to try that a little bit? If, it, if it somehow it was okay, wouldn't you like to try that? To be able to have every desire that you have to give Seek satisfaction. It's very tempting, isn't it? But there's a problem. Point two, the problem. Before we get too envious, before we get too excited about just the thought of what would it be like to be able to do all that and have the resources to do that, we need to know how the experiment turned out. What was the advantage and profit of his effort? Listen to verse 1b and 2 and then verse 11. The second part of verse 1, chapter 2. But behold, this also was vanity. And I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? And then verse 11, then I considered that all my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The answer remained as before. It's all vanity. It's all fleeting. It's all failing. It's all going to fall apart. It's all going to poof, be gone like a mist, a vapor, smoke. And there's nothing here that will last. None of all these things had brought him lasting satisfaction or true joy. As David Hubbard observed, listen to this quote. Pleasure's advertising agency is much more effective than its manufacturing department. You, you think about that. Pleasure's advertising agency is far more effective than its production department. In other words, it can't deliver on what it so powerfully promises, so craftily sells. Now, do you understand why I chose the title that I did? You see, Solomon painfully came to realize the world is not enough. It is not enough. Even if you have it all, it will never, never satisfy. 
You see, today we have more of almost everything except happiness. We got more stuff. <laughs> My wife and I, we're, we're trying to do some uh, rearranging of stuff and trying to do a little more remodeling of a bathroom that has been needing it for a long time. And we're trying to move stuff around. And we just, we just keep saying, where, where did all this stuff come from? How did we get this much junk? I mean, some of it's nice, but it's just stuff. We all have so much of everything. We are so blessed. And we're seldom satisfied. We always want more. You see, it's the law of diminishing returns, my friends. That which for the first time you still remember how wonderful it was, but the second time it wasn't quite. And the third time and before long you're bored with it. You probably know and I know and one of my best friends has a sister that's a heroin addict. And once she had that first hit, she has been looking all of her life to find it again. And she cannot get there no matter how long, how hard she tries. What she gives up, she can't get it. It, the law of diminishing returns. Solomon had that reality come crashing in upon him. But finally, there's perspective. and This is so important. There's not only a pursuit here and a problem with it, But what do we do now? We need some perspective. And remember I said, I've been saying, and I said every year, every week, this book is the truth of God's word. It's true. It is a word of truth, but it's not the final word. There's another half. There's another part of this thing we call the Bible. There's an old and there's a New Testament. And there we gain further insight to what is in the sun and what is under the sun. Years ago, Peggy Lee sang that refrain. Some of you may remember it in her song, Is That All There Is? Here's what she said in that refrain. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let us keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all that there is. Well, my friends, I'm here to tell you on the basis of this word, in its complete story, in its complete disclosure, its final and fuller revelation, I'm here to tell you, no, that's not all that there is. But satisfaction does not come in the pleasures themselves. It's always sold separately. When you seek it for itself, as it is, you'll never find it. It is elusive. It will slip through your fingers. When you seek other things, the right things, it comes as a byproduct. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added unto you. But see, we want to cut right to the chase. We want to seek it. We want to quest it. We want to find happiness. And you can't find happiness in a thing or a person 
or anything else. You see, our dissatisfaction should point us back to God, not away from him. C.S. Lewis had this interesting notion. And basically, it was this. Disappointment experienced leads or should lead you to the acknowledgement of the divine. Disappointment leads to the divine. What do you mean? That's crazy. What he's saying is, Because you know from your experience, everything here does not deliver, disappoints, leaves you unsatisfied. And he said, that is the very haunting of your soul to tell you there you have that desire. Where did it come from? Because you were meant to know it. But you can't know it under the sun. You can only know it in the sun. S-O-N of righteousness. You can only know it there. You were meant, and that's why your dissatisfaction begs for the answer to be found elsewhere, outside of this world, beyond it. The fact that the world is not enough is a blessing in disguise, folks. It's a blessing in disguise if we will learn its lesson. Now, here's another part of the perspective. With everything I've just said, with everything I've acknowledged, with everything we've come to conclude, but that final word has come now that was not here when the teacher wrote this. So under the sun, without Jesus, the search for significance and satisfaction is absolutely what? Impossible. Totally impossible. Can't get there. No way. But in Christ, he has come what? To make his blessings known how far? As the curse is found. He has come to make the impossible possible. In him, there is pleasure and joy and peace that none of these things that Solomon sought could ever give. In him there is pleasure in everything that Solomon mentions, but only when enjoyed with God and for God and his kingdom. See, that's the byproduct. That's what I was talking about earlier. It comes on the side as a byproduct, not as a pursuit. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Then these things will be added. Think about it. You're working. It's your work. Can your work ultimately, he says it's futile, it's frustrating, it's defeated, it's vanity. But in Christ, your labors in the Lord will what? Not be in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. Colossians says, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord, not for men. And there will then come satisfaction that eludes so many. What about your feasting? What about being able to enjoy the gifts of God? Paul tells us in Timothy, do it, go for it. Just recognize 
with grateful heart where it came. God created these things to be received with thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing to be rejected if it is received, what? With thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. And then Jesus in Matthew 6, 19. What about investing? Is that always futile and vain? No, not if we're investing in the right things. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, satisfaction in Jesus can make an appearance here even under the sun when we are in the sun and he is with us. When we're doing it for him and for his kingdom with gratefulness. Daniel Trier makes a a great quote. The divine gifts of creation are meant to be enjoyed as matters of stewardship, not possession. See, we get that backwards. We think it's all about our possessing, our ownership. No, it's not. You can only enjoy it if you recognize you're a steward of it. But then you can find joy and satisfaction and blessing in it. We are offered satisfaction in the crucified and risen Christ. Only Jesus can really satiate the soul. Let me close with just a reading from a hymn, a, a hymn in this hymn book. Number 511, if you want to read along with me. It's called Satisfied. Listen. All my life long, I have panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within, feeding on the husk around me till my strength was almost gone, long my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy, but the dust I gathered round me only mocks my soul's sad cry. Well of water, ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth. My Redeemer is for me. Hallelujah. I have found him, the one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my every Longing through his blood, I now am saved. You think about that. Amen. Father, help us now to come to the table to remember that we can only find life as we feast upon you. Oh, not corporally, Lord, not in a real way, but spiritually. Take Lean into, trust in, believe on you. This gospel is preached to us in these elements now, and Lord, help us receive them with faith, and may they produce in us greater faithfulness because of the wonder of our great Savior who brings life and immortality to light and makes life worth the living. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.